0: The following resource is from LMPC.org, and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at LMPC.org give. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he has promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. This is the word of the Lord. Please speak. Well, good morning. Welcome again to Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church. My name is Will Nettleton. I'm one of the pastors here We are really glad, as Frank said, to have you with us on this first Sunday of Advent. And I'll just say it, moms, as the kids are coming in, feel free to wave at them. You're not going to offend the rest of us as they make their way to you. If you're visiting with us this morning, uh, we are beginning a new sermon series for this season of Advent. Frank mentioned that it is the first Sunday in Advent. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to be taking a pause in our study in the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to be looking at something of a a thematic sermon series, tracing the miraculous births that we see throughout the scriptures. Christmas, of course, is our celebration of the incarnation, that miraculous birth of Jesus, that God became man and dwelt among us. The light shone in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. But that actually is only one of the miraculous births that we see in the scripture, there are a number of other ones, and all of them point forward to and set the stage for Jesus' miraculous birth. Each of these births shows us the faithfulness of God to his word and to his people. So we're going to begin this morning all the way back in the book of Genesis with the miraculous birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah, who, if you know the story, are well past their child-rearing years. But God has made a promise to Abraham that he would bless him and make his descendants more numerous than the stars in the sky. And he has promised him that through his offspring, the whole world would be blessed. And so God is going to keep his promise to Abraham and to Sarah because he is a God who always keeps his promises. So you can see our outline there in your bulletin this morning. First, we'll look in verses one and two at a promise fulfilled. And then in verses 3 through 7, a faithful response. It's our roadmap and how we'll try to navigate the text together. So before we set out, let me pause and we'll pray. We'll ask God's Holy Spirit to bless our time in his word together. Let us pray. Lord, Moses told your people that your word is no empty word. It is no vain word. It is our very life. You have promised that when it goes out from you, it does not return to you void, but accomplishes every purpose that you have for it. And so whatever purpose you have for this word this morning, Lord, we ask that you would accomplish it. Holy Spirit, would you give us ears to hear, hearts that long to know you and to follow you. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, our rock, and our Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, Advent, this season, is about waiting. And if you are anything like me, waiting is hard do not enjoy waiting. Uh, In his book, How to Inhabit Time, James K.A. Smith talks about watching his adult daughter and his son-in-law go through the process of buying a house. And he talks about that common experience of watching them go in, you know, searching, hunting for a house in their price range in a neighborhood they wanted to live in, going through, making an offer, and just being rejected time and time again, constantly being outbid by someone else. Until finally, one day, They found a house, they made an offer, they prayed, they waited, and they heard back that it had been accepted. They were going to have a house, the one it turns out they were meant to have all along. And they were so excited, as young couples often are when they're buying their first home. And then those of you who have been through that process know that it's not over. There comes more waiting, waiting for an inspection to come back, waiting for all the funding to be approved, waiting for the closing date. All the while, they're buying paint samples, they're picking out furniture, they're driving by the house every day to look at it again, wondering why those awful people are still in there, in their house, right? Meanwhile, those people are packing everything up to move out. It's a strange time. The house is theirs, and yet it's not quite theirs. They're living in that time between promise and fulfillment, and the way it can be agonizing. And Smith uses that story to argue that that is what the Christian life is like. We are living in a time between times, what theologians often call the already and the not yet. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's defeated sin and death. His kingdom is coming on earth as it is in heaven. And yet, we await his return when it will come in all of its fullness because we know While the power of sin has been broken, the presence of sin remains. And while suffering will one day be ended, it has not yet been ended. So many of us are still walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Waiting is hard. But we have a God who makes the waiting worth it. Because we have a God who always keeps his word. No matter how things appear to us, we have a God who always keeps his word. We see that in our passage this morning. We are picking up in the middle of Abraham's narrative in Genesis. If this is your first time at church, or perhaps you just don't remember the story of the Bible, in case you're unfamiliar, it starts in Genesis chapter 1 with a good God. He creates a good world with some good people, Adam and Eve in it, who are created to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But he also presents them in this garden with a choice to live his way or to live by their own rules. And Adam and Eve choose to live by their own rules. And in so doing, they bring chaos and destruction and sin into the world. They are broken and the world is ruined. But the good news in the early parts of Genesis is that God is not content to leave the world broken and his people ruined. And so he sets about a plan to fix it. And that plan involves a man who's introduced to us in Genesis chapter 12 as Abram. God tells us that, he tells Abram specifically that he's gonna make him a great nation. He says, I'm gonna bless you. I'm gonna make your name great. You will be a blessing. Gonna bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so God is gonna turn Abram into a great nation. His family line is gonna be the means by which God goes about undoing what Adam and Eve had done in the garden when they brought sin and death and destruction into the world. So if that's gonna happen through Abraham's family, Abram needs to have some children, or at least a child, that would be a start. And a huge part of the story of Genesis 12 through 21 is that Abram and his wife, Sarah, appear to not be able to have children. They remain childless. And so in Genesis 15, when God comes back to Abram and reassures him, tells him, no, your reward will be very great. Abraham has a moment of deep honesty. He just responds and looks at God. He says, oh Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. You've given me no offspring I have no natural heir. One of my servants is going to inherit everything that is mine. He says, Lord, you can't make a great nation out of me if you don't even give me one child. And the Lord reassures him. He says, you shall have a son. But Abram and Sarah continue to doubt. And so instead of trusting God to provide, they take matters into their own hands, just like Adam and Eve did. In the early parts of Genesis, Abram and Sarah decide to live by their own rules. Sarah gives her servant Hagar to Abram and says, Look, apparently I can't give you children, so have a child with her. And we'll raise him as our own. Maybe that will be the child that God will use. And God again comes to Abram and tells him, No. The promise is to you and to Sarah. Sarah is going to have the son. And to drive the point home, he changes Abram's name. He changes it to Abraham, which means a father of a multitude. He says, the promise that I made to you will be fulfilled through a son that Sarah will bear you. And Genesis 17, 17 tells us that Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? See, at this point in the story, a lot of time has passed. As God is reassuring Abraham, Abraham's 100. Sarah is 90. And God is telling them they're going to have a child. Now, those of you who are in that age range, maybe you can sympathize with why they might laugh at that, having to chase a toddler around again. But God says to both of them, I will be back in a year and you will have a son and you will name him Isaac. And that name is significant because Isaac means he laughs. Abraham and Sarah are laughing at God because they think it's impossible. And God lets them know, I will get the last laugh because I will be faithful to my promise and you will have a son. And that brings us, all of that backstory, thank you for being patient with us, brings us to our passage this morning. After all of that waiting, after all of that, we get this, our passage. It was only a few verses, and given all the backstory I just read to you, it's actually pretty sparse. Did you notice that? As Isaac, this child of promise, is born, look back at verses one and two. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Okay, hang on a second. After all this fanfare about this child, this miracle child born to a 90-year-old woman and her 100-year-old husband, the child of promise through whom God's going to make Abraham a great nation and bless the world, that child is born and this is all we get? And I think that's actually part of the point. Over and over again, the author points out, Moses points out, that God did this just like he said he would. Did you notice that? Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. It is almost as if the narrator is saying to us, oh, are you surprised? Are you surprised that God did what he said that he would do? this is the point. God always keeps his word. He is always faithful. He always finishes what he starts. It may look impossible. It may take way longer than we want, but he will always keep his word. Think about Abraham and Sarah waiting all of those years to have that child. Think about Israel later in the Old Testament story, waiting all of those years for the Messiah to come. And yet in the end, God did exactly what he said that he would do. He kept his word I mentioned at the beginning this morning that we are a people living between the times. We're awaiting people. But the good news that we see from this passage is that we can wait expectantly and with hope because we have a God who keeps his word. And so that means with the psalmist, we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. As we suffer, we can endure, not pretending that it's not real, but holding on to god in the midst of it because he has promised that he will put an end to pain and suffering and death that he will wipe every one of our very many very real very earnest tears from our eyes it's what the end of the bible tells us that there's going to come a day where god is going to come and he is going to wipe the tears from your eyes the psalms tell us that god collects our tears in bottles it's not that our suffering means nothing to him. He has suffered with us and he keeps his word. One day it will end. One day it will be over so we can endure because God keeps his word. That means that those of us who are struggling with our slow growth, our ongoing struggle with sin, we can take heart Because the scriptures tell us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus our Lord. And so if you are struggling to be the person that God is calling you to be, if you are struggling to follow Jesus, you can again repent this morning. You can again make fresh efforts at pursuing holiness, knowing that God is going to keep his word. He has promised you that he is going to make you into the image of Jesus. Jesus. And he will do it. That God keeps his word also means that those of us who look around at our culture and worry about the decadence and the sin that we see, and we worry about the future of the church within it, we can take heart. We can take heart because Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So we can share the gospel with our neighbors. We can invite our friends to church. We can continue doing the things that Christians do, talking about Jesus, extending the hope of the gospel to others. We can keep doing that knowing that God is faithful. He is going to build his church. He always finishes what he starts. And so we don't have to be afraid. God is faithful. What Abraham and Sarah experienced in this passage is God doing exactly what he said that he would do. And it draws from Abraham and Sarah a response because they go to do exactly what God has asked them to do, which is right. That's how we ought to respond to God's faithfulness. So let's turn our attention to verses three through seven and just look briefly at the response of Abraham and Sarah, who respond with wonder and obedience. Look back at verse three with me. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. So Abraham has experienced a God who does exactly what he said he would. And so Abraham decides that he should do exactly what God told him to do. God had told Abraham back in Genesis 17, you're gonna have a son by Sarah, you will name him Isaac. And just like every male born in your house, he's to be circumcised. And so verses three and four tell us Abraham does exactly both of those things. Calls the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. You like how Moses keeps repeating that? Keeps bringing it home. God did it exactly how he said he was gonna do it. Abraham calls him Isaac. Isaac. And then he circumcises him, just like God commanded him. As we sit here this morning during this Advent season, part of the faithful response to God's faithfulness is obedience. We ought to do what he commands. Jesus told his disciples, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. So obedience is one part of our faithful response to a God who is faithful to his word. But Sarah shows us another crucial part. She shows us wonder and joy. Look back at verses 6 and 7. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. Can't quite see it in English, but there's a lot of Hebrew wordplay going on here. I mentioned earlier that Isaac's name literally means he laughs. It's a play on the fact that both Abraham and Sarah laughed when God told them they would have a son in their old age. And it's easy to look at what Sarah says here and think, perhaps she's saying, everyone's going to laugh at me. But I think given the context of the passage, it's better to read it. Everyone is going to laugh with me. Everyone's going to see God was faithful. God did this miraculous work through people who had no business bearing a child. God was faithful. Abraham and Sarah had laughed in cynicism and insecurity, but now Isaac is here and their laughter has a very different sound. What Sarah is expressing here is wonder and joy. Can you believe that God has actually done it? Can you believe that he has really done it? Have you ever had that moment when good news just laid you out? You ever had that moment? Students, perhaps you got into the school. Or perhaps when you were a young adult, you got the job you thought you weren't going to get. Or perhaps you walked a very hard road and you found out the cancer went into remission or you found out after years of waiting that you were pregnant. And when you found out, it hit you like a freight train. And you had a moment where you cried and you laughed in wonder and in joy. You had barely dared to hope that this was possible. And it came true. And you laugh in that moment because you cannot believe it's real. As we go into the Advent season, what I hope you see from this passage, from all of these miraculous birth passages, and indeed from the birth story of Jesus himself, is that the thing that we have barely dared to hope possible has come true. The story of the table that we are about to go to is that the thing we have barely dared to hope possible has come true. Our sins have been dealt with. We can have relationship with the God who made us, the one with whom we were made to have relationship, whom we had no hope of relationship with in our flesh, that a way has been made back, that our sins have been dealt with, that he became a man, a baby first, that he lived the perfect life of righteousness that we could not live, that he died the death for sin that we ought to have died, and that he rose again from the dead. That we might know that all of this, all the suffering that we endure, all the pain, all the death will be swallowed up in victory. God keeps his promises. When was the last time that you marveled at the wonder of the gospel? When was the last time that you found yourself laughing, tears of joy in your eyes, That God has called you to himself. That he has made provision for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That your father has welcomed you home. Our God has kept his word. He kept it to Abraham and to Sarah. And they responded in obedience and in joy. He has kept his word to us. Let us respond in obedience and wonder and joy. Let us go out following our King with everything we have. Amen. Let me pray as we prepare to come to the Lord's table together. Father, we marvel at this gift. Even as we enter into a season where we give gifts to one another, we marvel that at great cost to yourself, you bought us back brought us back from our rebellion and from our sin, that you didn't just clear our debt in a courtroom. though praise you you did. You gave us your son's perfect righteousness. You welcomed us into the family of God. You sat us down at your table where we will feast with you forever. Lord I pray this morning that you would open our eyes again to the beauty of this story that you are a God who is faithful, that you always keep your word, you always do exactly what you said you would do. I pray for those of us who are struggling this morning, who are suffering, would you help us to hold on to that lifeline, to endure. And for those of us who are numb to this, Lord, would you shock us into joy and wonder again with the good news of the gospel.